Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Disclaimer time. This is where I tell everyone to lighten up. It's just a podcast. Trading is like that roller coaster at the amusement park. Thrilling, unpredictable, and potentially stomach-churning. What works for one person might leave another clutching their hat in the wind. Our hosts and guests, they're awesome, knowledgeable, full of insights, but we're not financial advisors. So don't rush to make any investment decisions based solely on our banter. Always consult with a professional or do your own research. Plus, let's face it, we like to have fun, laugh, enjoy the trading ride together. It's all in the name of good podcasting fun. So remember, take it easy, don't bet the farm, and keep your seatbelts on at all times. Thank you for listening. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop, the home of the band of traders. I am your host, Kyle, and today's guest is the terrific and transcendental Tony Saliba, founder of Liquid Mercury, author of multiple books, and the only options trader to be featured in the Cerebral Market Wizards interview collection. If you want to learn more about Tony, please check out his website at liquidmercury.com or grab a copy of one of his many options trading books. They're all listed on Amazon. And last but not least, please feel free to reach out with your questions, corrections, or questions for future guests. You can do that via email at tubals at financialineptitude.com, or you can join our free Discord server, where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. I'll have all those links in the episode description so you can peruse them at your own convenience. Without any further ado, let's get to know Tony. So, tell me how you got started in the markets, because uh, I was doing a little bit of background research, and it looks like it was a pretty different uh, uh, exposure to it than, than what I've seen in the past. Hi, Kyle. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a different time, obviously, uh, long before computers were uh, mainstay uh, possession of, of individuals. I mean, there were big mainframes. This was the mid set, mid to late seventies, but I, um, I, I set out to be a journalist actually. And I was looking forward to, I, I loved uh, writing. I loved writing about sports, and mm-hmm. I wanted to replace Harry Carey, who at the time was the White Sox broadcaster. <laughs> this was before he, he went to the Cubs. He spent two or three years, or a little bit more, uh, on the South Side. And um, you oh. know, being an Illinois uh, native resident, um, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I fashioned myself as taking over for Harry someday. And then my second semester freshman year at school, the counselor said, what are you, crazy? That's like one in a million. You're, <laughs> you're never going to be, you know, take take Harry Carey's place. And I said, really? Well, not with that attitude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I said, well, um, well, then I'll just be a journalist. And at the time, you know, this is 1973, journalists were making about four thousand dollars a year. $4,500 a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, uh, I said, who makes all the money? And he said, people in business. I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, which field? And he said, the nation needs accountants. So I went to school for accountancy. Huh. I hated it. I struggled through it. I got my degree. And when I graduated, um, one of the alumni, I went to Indiana university, one of the alumni who I had met through fundraising um, gigs that I'd helped out with as a um, member of, of IU Student Foundation, said, uh, you know, hey, Saliba, uh, you're graduated now. What are you, you going to be doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, Procter & Gamble wants me to get into brand management. Deluxe Check Printers is talking to me about sales. Well, uh, what about accounting? I thought you had an accounting degree. And uh, none of the back then it was big eight. 
none of the mm. big eight are interested. My grades weren't good enough. <laughs> he goes, well, did you ever think about being a stockbroker? And I was like, well, um, I don't know. Uh, he goes, listen, I'm a stockbroker. It's a great job. And I said, but you're in Indianapolis. And he said, yeah, you could do it from Indianapolis. And I'm thinking, Kyle, I'm thinking I'm on the phone, huh. one phone in one ear and the other handset in the other ear going, hello, New York, bye. Chicago, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that for a year. And, and it was during the malaise of the Carter days and a big, big volume day on the New York Stock Exchange was, I remember the biggest day was 11 million shares. We do that in the first heartbeat I know, of, I know. of the opening now. You know, we do <laughs> 10 times that in the first minute. Um, and I was tasked with driving around the countryside of Indiana, uh, meeting with farmers and their wives in their living rooms, trying to sell economic development bonds. And here's this 21, 22-year-old kid who I didn't know much at all. And and they're mm -hmm. like, they're not, they're not gonna take my advice. Yeah, I so know, right? <laughs> I said, I said to my uh, colleagues, well, who makes all the money in this? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question to ask. Yeah. And they said, Oh, you gotta be on the floor. I'm like, what? Oh yeah, you know, you gotta be on the uh, you know, commodities exchange or the stock market floor. But that's completely different than what you've been doing, though. Cause... Oh, my God. Yeah, I was, you know, smiling and dialing and right. answering questions at after hours because there was no tape. You know, I mean, the tape was printed in the uh, late edition newspapers, which, you know, you could look up. And Was that before the ticker tapes? Yeah, well, there were ticker tapes, but, you know, there wasn't any Internet. There wasn't any. You could go. This right, was right. before any news. There wasn't any. um like Financial News Network started about 10 years later. Uh, that was the forerunner of CNBC. And that mm -hmm. started in the um, on the floor of the CBOE, a uh, bunch of Chicago guys. And um, before that, you just call your broker if you were a big enough customer. And then the, you know, the new kid on the block uh, went behind his ears, would answer the phone and look it up on the Quotron mm -hmm. and give you your quotes. So... I was like, I'm out of here. And um, I knew guys who um, were bean brokers and corn traders on the CBOT. And um, so I went, I, I actually had a customer as a stockbroker that um, I had taught myself options and I'd made him some money. Actually, his dad uh, had an account with me. And in the course of about two months, I'd made him 50 grand. I doubled this. He, he gave me 50 grand to trade with. And um, his dad called me up and said, listen, this is like August of 78. And he said, you've done really well in um, my account. You doubled it. But the firm also made 50 grand in commissions. Um, mm. This doesn't look good. I mean, options carried big tickets back then because they were risky and um, they could charge a lot. And he goes, you know, this, this is verging on churning. And I'm like, well, you know, this, this is what I taught myself to do. And he goes, well, how can I avoid all these fees? And I said, well, get me on the floor. Uh. So he had me up to his place in Highland Park and um, uh, he and his son who actually had, op had opened the account with me and how we worked out a plan to get started trading on the floor because um, an options contract costs about $50 in commission if you were a customer, and it was $1 if you were on the floor. Now, it's pretty today, <laughs> you know. So you can imagine, there you go. If I had been doing this on the floor, he would have tripled his money. And um, we set out to do a partnership. And while we were getting set up, um, a number of personality things came out about the father and, and some friends of mine who I knew that were on the floor said, if he's that rough on you when you're winning, imagine Ooh. what he's going to be like if you're not making money. Uh, yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah. So I took a job as a clerk and within a few weeks of starting as a clerk, I, I saw one of the guys I caddied for down on the floor and, um, 
you know, great, great guy. I mean, I didn't know that he was a great guy at the time because he was a, 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 a very quiet, reserved guy. Um, and for a guy that played golf regularly, he was a man of few words. Mm-hmm. But um, he approached he he approached me and said, "You know what you're doing down here?" And and I said, "Yeah." And you know, I was really taking a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, um, "You want me to show you?" And he he said, "Yeah." So I put a trade on in his account that um, was in a very volatile stock. So for your younger listeners, you know, there was a day when there weren't any indices and the way the market uh, um, reacted um, to potential move was to create proxies for what ended up coming years later in, in tradable indices and stocks like IBM and Honeywell and Polaroid and Xerox and uh, International Paper and Teledyne were all scooped up to make a basket as a proxy for the market in general. And I put on a position in Teledyne, which was very thin, very liquid, and uh, put a back spread on. And within a few days, this um, ratio spread was like three by two or four, four by, you know, two by one or whatever mm-hmm. made him, you know, he was risking like $1,500 and he made a few grand in like five trading days. And I ran over and I said, Mr. Good, Mr. Good, you know, I it's, think it's time to take off your spread. And he, he didn't even really know what, what he was looking at. He was down there because he had sold a business and a lot of guys down there in the early days um, were just there to, get away from, you know, the home life and have a place to go <laughs> and trying to be family friendly here. <laughs> right. I know what you're saying. You don't have to go any further. <laughs> and um, he said, okay, uh, go take it off. And then he, and I showed him what he, you know, I sat down with him and I showed him what he made. And he, he said, well, can you do that again? And I said, yeah. And he goes, can you, can you do it a lot? And I said, yeah, I think so. And he said, okay, what do you want to do? And I said, well, get me on a seat. Um, seats back then were about $35,000 to buy one, but they were about $1,000 a month to rent um, one. And he owned one. Was that so just to get on the floor? Yeah, just to, to get on the seat. So you had to pass a test and mm-hmm. you, you know, a CBOE licensing test, become a broker dealer. And I had done all that in preparation to, work with the, the other uh, fellow other guys the simmons the, the, mm-hmm. the son was a really nice guy he's a contemporary of mine and um you know i wish i would have been able to do something with him but you know i i was from the other side of the tracks and there was an opportunity for me here i didn't want to screw it up i wouldn't regret that yeah it sounds and, like your path went pretty well yeah and i i ran into i ran into him um about 10 or 15 years later in my after the book came out, I mean, I was on a bunch of magazines and then that's how Jack saw me and, and, uh, chose to interview me for the only options trader in market wizards. But I met, uh, I bumped into his, uh, into his son and he goes, I could have been a contender. <laughs> <He goes>, <laughs> <laughs> we were close, you know, cause you know, I, I had done very well and, and, um, but you know, Julian was a great, partner. Uh, we stayed together for um, about three years and I'd made him a lot of money. Yeah, he gave me 50 grand and, you know, I made him 10X in um, mm-hmm. less than three years. And then I said, you know, I think I want to go on my own. And he's like, well, why? And I said, well, I don't want a partner. He goes, well, you all have partners. You know, and I said, you don't have a partner. He goes, yeah, I got Uncle Sam. I'm like, well, I got him and you. <laughs> um, so we worked out a deal where I managed his account for a couple of years while I traded mm-hmm. on my own. I, you know, gradually bought him out, and and we stayed friends. He passed away about ten years ago. He mm-hmm. he was, uh, you know, quite a bit older than me, maybe you know, forty years older than me. And then he, uh, you know, he did well. Um, and I vowed to train and back. I, I got a clerk 
uh, mm -hmm. pretty much right away because you know, I was a big mouth and I traded a lot and I <laughs> needed help. <laughs> and then I trained my clerks. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before about uh, training and education. Mm. And I wanted, you know, I had, you know, young men and women clerk for me and I wanted to teach them what I had learned. And, um, you know, I would start them off with a 60-40 uh, deal, 60 to, to the company and 40 to the trader, but it was my capital and I taught them. And then they would buy down percentages till it was 90-10 them. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it made a lot of sense for them to stay and trade on my capital and the infrastructure that we provided. And they, you know, we had at one point about 27 traders, but I was getting tired of training everybody personally myself. Um, and the year was 90, 1987. And I had some guys look for ways to bring a multimedia experience, if you will, together to train these people right oh to like to film it so that way you can you wouldn't yeah. have to keep doing it by yourself you could actually like show them training videos yeah and do do some computer um i, I did my first i did my first program in 84 and so i was involved in technology early on and i said we there's a got to be a way we can film this have uh, uh you know computer-based tutorials and q a and screening and then i i met some guys that were working were thinking about doing a simulator and i got in i got into simulation and um i built out trade star which you know was we worked with uh uh dragon voice recognition mm -hmm. uh this was 1987 88 we, we came out in uh, august of 88 with the system they had voice and, recognition back in 88 yeah, and wow. I figured out, we figured out that we could trade fully all aspects of trading all day with only 40 words or less. And, <laughs> and so we would, we trained, um, there were five, five persona, five players that we created um, entities in the system. There were, there were brokers, a uh, couple of brokers. Um, I'm sorry, there were six, two brokers and four competing traders. Mm -hmm. um, one of the books that I was featured in in the 80s and early 90s was um, published by the CBOE called um, uh, Options. That's just the name of the book. And um, okay. it's out of print now. But I wrote a chapter, Kyle, called, um, it started out called The Ecology of Pit Trading. And, and I had gone around and um, witnessed, documented, and, and interviewed um, all the different types of traders that were on the floor. Um, scalpers and spreaders and short-term, you know, punters, investors, chartists. <laughs> I haven't heard that word in a while, the punters. <laughs> well, you know, just, you know, total, total yep. speculators, right? And um, premium sellers and theoretical um, traders. And I incorporated this into like a I don't know, 50 page chapter that outlined what you got in the pit. Do you, does that still exist somewhere? I'm checking right now to see if I can find it online. You know what? Um, I'm going to do this. Um, I was asked recently and, and um, I made a PDF of this chapter that I will make available to your listeners. If they just go to our site and ask for it and give them this PDF. I don't know about the, rights or anything it's, it was a cboe book it, it's been out of print for 30 years but the chapter is really interesting they renamed it after i, I wrote i wrote it for about nine eight or nine years mm -hmm. and in the last couple of years they renamed it to the business of market making <laughs> but yeah. but it really you know it's about personalities right yeah i think your title was way better yeah and and i'll make that available to your to your audience um Thank you. Yeah, just just have them go there and ask for it, and we'll email to them. So the thing about it is, is this was a rich tapestry of what was going on in the liquidity base of the best product ever created, which is listed options. Mm -hmm. And 
I took a handful of them, like I said, four, and made players in this simulator that if you traded outside of your lines and hit one of them, you, a trade would occur. And so we built a, a pedagogical curriculum around it. And um, voila, I had, you know, what I wanted to do two years and about a half a million dollars later. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said uh, well, others probably need this. And I created a business around it. And we barnstormed around Europe and Asia and Australia, um, selling that package for a few years. Um, and then we got into actually turning the technology into a trading front end. And, um, you know, I partnered with a Swedish company that had a really great front end and we were sales and support in conjunction with our training programs. I was partners with them. We sold, I sold that when they went public. And then a couple of years later in 99, uh, I launched Liquid Point and did it again here in the U.S. all on our own. And that Liquid Point one was a massive payout. I think I saw is almost a quarter of a billion, I think is what the, the take yes. home was for that. Yes, that was um, wow. that was a great payday. Um, was that your biggest payday of your career? One time payday. Yes, absolutely. And, and um, my staff were all shareholders and made, I wouldn't say dozens, but more than a dozen of the staff were millionaires instantly upon sale. And most of the investors did like 15 to 50 X from where there were seed investors. A couple of them um, were close to 50 X. And um, yeah. And so I stayed on to run that for a few years and then um, left in 2014 and did my, uh, set out my garden leave. And then in 2017 launched matrix and matrix now competes with liquid points technology, um, in that space. Um, matrix I'm surprised is, they let you do that. Doesn't there like NDAs or non-competes you typically have to sign after that or? That yeah, there was just, but just for, for two years. I mean, ah, okay. um, yeah, that's enough time for the tech to probably change anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, well, liquid point had merged with another company and, and then that got bought by a, a bigger company. And so, you know, the lines of delineation continue to get blurred. Right. But the technology we built at liquid point is still the dominant technology on the options floors. And that's uh, my broker dealer, Matrix biggest, you know, competitor, but Matrix has newer, better technology that's making inroads and and clawing market share away uh, from from Liquid Point. So Man, I, I think that's impressive that you continue to to do this to found companies even after taking a payday like that. Like I would think that you'd just be buying up villas and like the <laughs> you know <laughs> Sicily or somewhere, just hanging out there for the rest of your time. Well. There, there was a moment where, you know, actually went to, it wasn't Sicily, but it was Tuscany and hung out for <laughs> a little while with the family for a month and just digested it. And like my wife says, that was the most peaceful and calm I've ever seen you. And I said, well, I was still digesting everything. Uh, um, you know, my friend and banker friend, uh, Ian Radomski had, um, surprised us with the number, you know, because we, um, we were surprised at how, you know, how good his team, his team got it. Up to. Yeah. He earned his commission. Yes. Yeah. And, and, um, there'll always be a wing in the Saliba family residence. Oh, named after yeah, I bet. <laughs> it was all good. Was there any other headaches with the, like, cause I imagine like the due diligence and like the, just the, re the corporate reviews and all the other stuff that goes in with selling that business is probably one of the biggest headaches you've ever experienced. Yes. Kyle, you're nailing a man. The due diligence, they look up and down every nook and cranny and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's, it's good to see that there are still people who do good due diligence though, cause I think we've had a couple conversations with some people in the banking industry or experts in that 
talking mm-hmm. about like the Royal Bank of Scotland collapse and then just looking at how piss poor they did theirs when they bought their assets. It's like, no wonder why this company failed. Absolutely. No, it, well, the financial industry, I mean, what happened last year with FTX was not mm-hmm. the financial industry. It was just a fraudster who, you know, I mean, talk about that another time, but it was um, just a bunch of people who were ideologically aligned and buying the, you know, the sop that, oh, I'm going to do good for the planet. And, you know, basically <laughs> took the money and paid off politicians and, and uh, news outlets. So nobody really looked into what he was doing. And, um, right. you know, traditional finance, which I grew up in, I literally started when I was 22 and still today I'm a broker, still registered broker dealer. And um, personally, although Liquid Mercury, my company is not, it's just a technology company. Mm-hmm. And um, the rigors that you go through in traditional finance are very um, stringent and are trusted for a reason. You know, they're yeah. you know, a little commercial for traditional finance right now. The um, functions are separated. You know, you don't have uh, a liquidity <laughs> provider, exchange, banker, broker, and um, custody all under one roof like you did at, yeah. at FTX, you know, and other other uh, crypto exchanges. Got to be some checks and balances in there. Right. Especially when you're talking about that kind of money. And, you know, we did a lot of work in Germany uh, when they launched their exchange. And I lived there for a few years while we were, you know, that was like home base. Well, we went around Europe training people. Is that the DEX? So it was at, at the beginning, it was called um, DTB, which was the Deutsche Terminbourse, uh, which was German futures exchange. Mm-hmm. And then it became Eurex. And um, the, the German banks, like Deutsche Bank was one of our biggest customers. They had a very bespoke, what they called four eyes policy. Every document had to have at least four eyes on it, two people. So yep. that there would be checks and balances. And it just made sense. You know, mm-hmm. it just made sense. Well, the Germans don't screw around, especially when it comes to processes. Oh, right. Very meticulous. You can feel confident. That's why today I'm a little bit surprised that, you know, Deutsche Bank has lost its way a little bit and become more of a a risk, a little bit bit of a shaky uh, bet as a bank. Um, Maybe they're, you know, I haven't been keeping up with it. Maybe they're finding their way more, but. uh, I'll have to dig into that. I hadn't noticed that. I know HSBC is the one I usually like to rip on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, they, it's really about the management and the management, you know, has its moments and sometimes gets lax, like the whole Silicon Valley bank and they all got full of themselves and they let too much ideology, you know, banks should be banks and not, you know, spouting ideologies and um, cultural issues that, have nothing to do with banking. And unfortunately it's happening today. Still the big banks, you know, they won't bank you if you, you know, buy guns or you do certain (laughs) things that they are ideologically (laughs) against. And it just doesn't make sense as a bank. Um, No, that's kind of a relatively new thing. Like we see that with companies now too. Like, yes. Like there's even like scores now, like green investing, I think is one of them. And I think there's another one for like ethical, ethical investing. But it all just seems like a big scam, honestly, the more it, I look it at is. it. It is. It takes – if you're an investor, okay, if you want to put your money where, where it makes you feel good, mm-hmm. there, are, there are organizations that you know you can donate to or get involved with. But if you're an investor that wants your money uh, to work for you, mm-hmm. work for itself and work for you, you want – your managers to adhere to strict guidelines that will maximize that. And uh, um, DEI and ESG does not do that. And um, there should not be oil companies at the tops of those ratings. Pardon? (laughs) There should not be oil companies near the tops are getting good ratings from ESG. Well, right, because they're doing things that are sort of mechanical, right? And and they're not actually – you know, adhering to practices, but to me, it's it's. Um, I think you've seen the apex of that. 
And now you're seeing a big backlash and some states are actually moving their sovereign funds out of anybody that um, adheres to ESG. Uh, it, it's just total BS in my opinion. And, and they can't prove the numbers to you. It's about oh. <laughs> doing you know, environmental good. Well, that should be what you do on the side, not while you're managing this company or, the, or my money, particularly with banks. So, yeah, I want your focus on how to maximize my gains, not not splitting right. it onto some other little side project. Exactly. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, S-P-U-L-L-E-N at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. So, you know, so we we dealt with the banks and, you know, I think where, where it was was that um, due diligence for a sale like Liquid Point was intense. They talk to your customers and they, you know, uh, obviously they give a, a deep dive on the technology and then, you know, how good have you been a, a planner? How, how much, how much difference to your forecasting to mm. actual in the past have you had? So how much can we trust your forward looking views? And I fortunately spent, a shitload of time on doing my what ifs, you know, I mean, I'm a mm -hmm. what ifs guy, uh, ground up and nailed my budgets in the past. Um, now, you know, at matrix, we, um, you know, we've, we've had some challenges in the budgeting, but been done fairly well. You know, we have a partner that we were counting on delivering some things that didn't necessarily get delivered. But other than that, it, the due diligence, falls on the on the forecasting. How good are you at knowing where your company is going to be in 12 mm -hmm. or 24 months? So things like that. I'd like to go back a little bit. You talked to briefly about being featured in the Market Wizards book. I'm kind of curious like how that whole thing came about. You said they saw you in some magazines and reached out. Like was there any like betting process that went through that? Did you have to like prove your your capabilities cuz being only one options trader in that book it's it's right one out of 14 guys uh and a couple gal or you know 12 guys and a couple gals it was all very much kismet i hmm. i came of age on the trading floor in my early 20s and really was thankful for being in the right place at the right time to be able to use the skills that I had um, in, in this new business. You know, we didn't have computers. I was, you know, smaller than most of the rest of the traders and, you, you know, size matter because you had to see the brokers coming into the pit. And so I had to have a better price um, and be faster to be heard. And I wanted to give back to the exchange. So I started volunteering for committee work I uh, went around with the marketing people to um, some of the regional retail offices of the big wirehouses like Schwab and Fidelity. Mm -hmm. And 
I got a call in August of 87 from the marketing department saying, hey, we um, we have a, a writer that wants to do a story on market makers or market making. Um, do you want to talk to him? There's a few guys down on the floor, you know, that we're going to reach out to and you help us out. So mm -hmm. you want to help them out? And I, I said, sure. So I talked, got on the phone with the guy and we couldn't get our calendars to line up until October 20th. And, you know, I, tra I was single. I traveled quite a bit. I did, you know, river rafting, whitewater rafting, and had a European trip in there. And I had just started working with a French bank and I was teaching their guys about options and, um, you probably uh, are familiar with the author Nassim Taleb. That's uh, I'm not sure. He's the guy that wrote about black swans, and um, oh, okay. And he's he's a, a friend of mine, and he was in this group and theoretician and philosopher, deep thinker. And I worked personally with him to teach him about futures and options. And we couldn't. This writer and I couldn't get our calendars to line up because of my travel and his travel until October 20th. Mm -hmm. Market crashes on October 19th. <laughs> the next morning, this guy shows up in my, like, I'm there at 530 in the morning with my team. I had three clerks by that time and, and other auxiliary staff. And um, here's Edmund Andrews. And he goes, are you Anthony? And I said, yeah. And we were frantic because we were trying to make sense of what was going, going on in the marketplace. Oh, I bet. And um, he goes, I'm, I'm at uh, Edmund Andrews. And I was like, okay, what? He goes, <laughs> we have this, we set this up in August that I would come and interview you today. And, and you, you know, you gave me the address and said, you get here around seven. And I'd already been there like an hour and a half and it was a little yeah. after seven. And, um, I'm like, oh my God. I said, I can't, I, I can't stop what I'm doing to give you an interview. And he flew in from, from Washington. And I, I said, listen, and my brother, Paul, my younger brother, Paul was clerking for me. And I said, Paul, get him a badge and I'll talk to him intermittently throughout the day while we're trading. Mm -hmm. And this guy was dropped into the eye of a hurricane. I mean, talk about landing on a money bomb. I mean, you, you would think that if you're writing, if you're interviewing traders, you'd be paying a little bit of attention to what's going on in the markets before you fly out. If you have a major event like that, you think that you'd be calling and be like, hey, are you still going to be able to talk to me tomorrow? He had no, no clue. clue. No clue. He was a nice enough guy. Yeah. Um, and he ended up spending like, three days in Chicago because that day was an amazing whirlwind and he documented it all. That's amazing for him. We had dinner and he interviewed me. And then um, the next day uh, I didn't give him as much unbridled access, but he was <laughs> in and around us. And then, um, and, and he was just doing this to see if he could sell the story and success magazine picked it up. Mm -hmm. And, he called me like a few weeks later. He said, Hey, you're going to be in success magazine. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, uh, th that's his business. I thought it was going to be literally, I thought it was going to be like an educational piece. Here's what we do. Yeah. And it was a personal story, right? Well, success magazine called me up and they said, we want to come out and do a photo shoot with you. I'm like, what? Uh, sounds like a feature. Yeah. So, they sent out their team. Lovely young lady was the uh, 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 creative director, uh, lead photographer. They did shots on the floor. They did shots in my home. They um, they, they they shot for like three days, and mm -hmm. um, this is like in January of of eighty eight. And uh, then the uh, creative director calls me and said this was a coup for her. She said, you're going to be the cover story. Wow. That's awesome. And, and so her, her work got to be 
on the cover of Success Magazine, and it ran as their ad campaign for like six months. I would go to New York, wow. and my picture would be on the on the sides <laughs> of buses in Manhattan, uh, advertising for Success Magazine. The mailers, I have them. I have wow. I have dozens of of uh, postcards or inserts to subscribe to Success Magazine. That my cover issue was the 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 feature that they were promoting many 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 months later to buy the magazine. <laughs> Wow, that's that's incredible. How does that not go to your head? <laughs> like, I imagine I'd be. Do, man, we got work to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I was I was uh, what thirty two, and uh, it was all in a day's work. Um, then I get a call. So that magazine came out in um, I don't know March of. 88, maybe. Okay. And um, a short time later, I get a call from a booker for Jack Schwager and said, Schwager, and mm-hmm. uh, said, listen, um, I represent Jack Schwager. He's a futures trader and author, and he would like to meet you uh, at your leisure. So I said, okay, I will work out after the close. Uh, let's meet at five o'clock at my club. We could grab a bite. And I, in a hurry, I slipped in the shower and upended oh, no. myself and landed flat on my back. Okay. I didn't hit my head, but I knocked the wind out of myself. Yeah. And hustled, dried off, went breathless, you know, t- to the, uh, <laughs> the bar where he was waiting. And he talks about this, I think, in the book um, that, you know, I was still out of breath having just slipped and <laughs> fallen. And, and Jack was, you know, sweet guy, uh, didn't know the language of options at all. Mm-hmm. Asked me, you know, how did this happen? How did you do, you know, do all this on when the world was falling apart? And um, and then he said, you know, I'm interviewing three other options traders and he gave me their names and I knew who they were. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, they're, I think, I think they make more money than me. I mean, I don't know. You always think people make more money than you. Right. And, um, and he chose me and he just said that, you know, you were, you had the best human interest story and the thread, except um, the one psychologist that's in there, I think it's Van Tharp. Um, the one thread throughout the whole book that links us together on, all of our stories is a threat of discipline, really. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I got to meet a number of the other initial Market Wizard entries. Um, some have passed, I think, from that book. Uh, and I'm friends with guys in the second uh, book, for sure. Did um, you think that the book was going to be as big as it was? No, no. I mean, I thought, Kyle, I thought, hey, we already have um, McMillan's options as a strategic uh, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> about the same time Shelly Natenberg came out with his book on options volatility I'm like okay market saturated right right I, I gotta tell you this two is, is too many <laughs> well so I came back from Italy in 89 uh, my first time uh, in Italy I've been to you know um, France a lot and Far East and such but I came back from a month in Italy in um, like September of 89. And it was the first time I drank coffee. I was 34. And I said, there's real coffee in Italy. Unbelievable, guys. <laughs> you won't believe it. The coffee is really good. Not this shit we drink from these fun <laughs> dispensers. And, 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 I, and somebody said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just opened a, a shop here down by the Board of Trade called Starbucks. And I went in there and I was like, oh, my God, this is like the coffee in Italy. And I'm like, you know what? I talked to the manager. He, he, was, he was a franchisee. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get a franchise here. And, you know, I was busy trading and, and, and working on, um, you know, working on some other things. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and lo and behold, Starbucks opened another store in Chicago. And I said, 
fuck, I'm late. No, you were not. There's Starbucks across from Starbucks's. <laughs> so I gave up on my quest, Kyle. No. Like, There's two in town. I'm late. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. What an idiot, huh? I mean, I well, wanted to do it so hard. badly. <laughs> Can't be too hard on yourself. I think you've done well in your career. That's been fun. Well, I mean, Mercury, Mercury's rocking and rolling, and and I think well, that's what, the, that's yeah, what I wanted to ask you about next is why you shifted out of options into crypto. Well, my tombstone will say necessity is the mother of invention, and basically mm-hmm. everything I've done from my first program to help me manage my options positions to a margin package that I worked with the guy to create to optimize margining for my clearing firm that I had for a while. And then later the front end system, uh, live screen, which was my first front end system in 88. Um, Matrix was my fourth generation um, software. And I believed that the marketplace needed to be upgraded. And while we were launching Matrix, um, Bitcoin crossed 2000 for the first time. And I had not, I learned everything about Bitcoin when it launched because um, our head of research, Nick Colas, would write about it in, in really? 2009. And I read his stuff religiously. So by 2010, I had my fill and I moved on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and eight years later, seven years later, I'm like, oh my Still God, here. that used to be like 50 cents. And now it's $2,000. That's real. And I got into crypto then. It was in the spring of of 2017 and I was we were launching um matrix actually summer 2017 and um I said we need to do what we do for workflow automation in digital assets but my partners were against it they didn't like the risk in crypto it was unregulated and everything so I said all right I'm gonna set it up myself and um the same great technology same you know, initially great technologist uh, helped Mercury get started with our stuff. Now, we, you know, Mercury's got its own team, about 14, 15 heads, heads down uh, engineers, 35 total. And we deliver the same great workflow automation and trading tools that we do on the listed side to businesses, institutions who have customers that I'm sure are your listeners on the digital asset side. <laughs> So do you trade at all still, or is this mostly, uh, are you mostly focused on your businesses? A little out of the corner of my eye. Okay, okay. A little out of the corner of my eye, yeah. But, um, so if anybody's curious about any of that stuff, I answer questions directly. You know, our website has a uh, information component there that they can ask questions, and and uh, um, I'll, get to, I'll get back to them directly. But I'm also on social media, you know. So I... I just want to be clear, like what the product actually is. It looks like it's a, like a, a kind of like Thinkorswim, like that, but for crypto. Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. It's like Thinkorswim for digital assets, but not only Thinkorswim is only for the trader. Right. We also, and our forte is for the broker, for the agent, the um, facilitator of, you know, larger traders don't want to click. Mm. They want to um, call somebody and have them do somebody, it for them. Right? Yeah. yeah. That they trust. Yeah. And we've got that down to a science. We also have a, a, a utility token of our own, uh, MERC, the Merck, um, trading on three exchanges overseas, but also on Uniswap. I think um, I've heard of that token before. That sounds very familiar. Well, it's getting it's getting more popularity. We have a, we have a loyalty program for the uh, users of our platform that we're launching in the first quarter. Uh, I curated a bunch of third-party software that goes well with trading. We have um, research in there, uh, rebates on your trades, a lot of goodies um, that owning the coin gives you access to it. So uh, the token only trades, okay, that's, that's awesome. trades for like under a penny, you know, so it's... Um, it's just a democratization of what we do. 
we've seen a lot of those under a penny ones, uh, you know, 4X really quickly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where it's going to go. I think it's, you know, definitely not going to go much lower. I think it has a chance to go much higher. But it's a utility token that gives access. And then our institutional clients um, can use it for discounts off of their invoices. So there's a... Ah, that's awesome. Yeah, real value for the big players that we have as customers. I got to say, Tony, it's very impressive how well you've kept up with technology over your career. I don't think many people do that and. It's it's almost inspiring. Well, thank you. I, I, that. I, I feel, you know, 30 years younger than I, you know, am on the clock. Just from I this conversation? To... Pardon? Uh, just, just, <laughs> just from this conversation? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, there's a vibe, you know, and it's uh, it's more like a radio vibe than, uh, you know, internet vibe. Than, yeah, than yeah. You know, I love it. <laughs> well, Tony, I know you got a, a, a stop here in the next couple minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. But uh, this is definitely not going to be the last conversation we have. In fact, I got a couple other guys that I want to try to set you up with. Uh, I'll, I'll shoot some emails over to your team and introduce you to some other people I think you'd be fantastic with. Kyle, I appreciate it. I, well, I can't wait to meet you. We're only uh, stones throw away from each other. Yeah, actually. next time I'm in Chicago, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll ring you up and absolutely go get, go grab get a beer a, somewhere. Grab a beer or a bite or both. It would be awesome. Absolutely. Show right. you our great facilities here. And, oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd love, I think my wife would enjoy that too, actually. Yeah, I'm in the Board of Trade building. I'm looking right down LaSalle Street right now. And uh, um, uh, I started here 45 years ago and probably got another, <laughs> I don't know how many more years to go, but I'm not, I'm not quitting anytime soon. That's for sure. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Uh, unfortunately, though, we have come to the end of our time today, but that is okay because there are so many other ways to fill your time with more Tony. If you check <laughs> out his website at liquidmercury.com or one of the many books that he's penned on Amazon, we'll have all of those links in the episode description. And we will be back soon with another exciting episode, probably featuring Tony. But until <laughs> that day, please embrace that holiday spirit and give the gift of this conversation to your friends by sharing today's episode and have a great day. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only, does not constitute financial or investment advice, and should not be construed as such. The hosts, guests, and contributors of this podcast are not licensed financial advisors, brokers, or professionals. Any trading or investment decisions made based on the content of this podcast are solely at the listener's discretion and risk. Trading and investing in financial markets carry inherent risks and past performance is not indicative of future results. Listeners should conduct their own research and seek advice from qualified financial professionals before making any financial decisions. The views, opinions, and information shared in this podcast are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the podcast creators or associated organizations. Produced by China Shop Productions.